their battles and their battles. If I'm in a situation in my life where I have a headache and then I go and I get a panado. You all know panados. And I go and I have a panado and within 15 minutes the headache is gone. Is that a battle? It's not a battle. Am I going to write on Facebook about it that God delivered me from that headache in 15 minutes? Is that a battle? It's not a battle. It's something that happens in life. Maybe it was something that I ate. It had certain preservatives in it, something that wasn't healthy. I have this headache and then I have a panado and I'm fine. But how many of you have been in situations where you have headaches and you have a Myprodol and you have a Panado and you have all sorts of medication, you go to the doctor, they scan you, you end up doing brain scans and the headache is still there. How many of you know that that's a battle? They're battles and they're battles. How many of you have been in a situation where you're looking for a job, but you're not qualified for that particular job? If I decided I want to work where Debbie Sebola works, and I want to go there and I'm applying for a position as an attorney, and I submit my CV and they say, you don't have the qualifications, you're not a lawyer, Paul, and I get rejected. How many of you know that's not a battle? That's just the consequences of not being qualified. Some of you are in situations where you're experiencing real battles. I said you have battles and you have battles. Some of you are in a situation right now where your bosses look at you and they're continuously talking about how marvelous you are, how clever you are, how much value you are adding. But the very people that they keep complaining about are the, the, the very people that they always promote. And for the last five years, you haven't had a promotion. How many of you know that that's a battle? Are you hearing me this morning? And one of the things I've found is that a lot of Christians don't know the dimension of warfare to do with the degrees of battles. You see, when you look in scripture, there are degrees of battles. When you look in scripture, it will talk about how this person was sent out into the most violent section of the battle into the section of the battle where the most violent men were present. So when we talk about spiritual warfare, there are degrees of warfare. Please stay with me. There are degrees of warfare. There are degrees of warfare. And if you go into the most intense part of a battle and you're casual like this, thinking that, I oh, know we're just in camp still. We're just in camp. You'll be wiped out. Say to the person next to you, their battles and their battles. How many of you know if you prefer spending time with your boys? I'm talking about your boys as in your friends. You prefer spending time with your boys than with your wife. How many of you know that if your wife becomes emotionally distant, that's not a battle. That's just the consequence of your foolishness. Please hear me this morning. How we diagnose a problem will determine how we solve it. If I diagnose my problem as this is a spiritual battle, pastor. My wife doesn't want to. You can fill in the blank. 
right? My wife is emotionally distant, pastor. And then I ask you and I say, have you been tender toward her? Are you spending time with her? Do you listen to her and connect with her in a deep way? No, pastor, I prefer hanging out with my boys. Please don't come and start saying, you know what, I need to rebuke this spirit of stubbornness from my wife. No, there's no warfare involved. Are you hearing me? So there's some things as Christians that we've called battles that are not battles. They're battles and they're battles. Why am I sharing this with you this morning? A dimension of warfare that a lot of Christians are not familiar with is that the first thing about warfare is how you're positioned. The first thing about warfare is how you are. It's how you're positioned. The Bible tells me that I'm seated in heavenly places with Christ Jesus. That's where I'm positioned. And if I'm not positioned there, I'm wiped out in warfare. Are you following me? As we go into 2017, it's important to have that discernment with regards to whether something is a battle or not a battle and to correctly label it. And when you recognize the battles that you're going to face, the first thing to do is to position yourself aright for the battle. And I'm here to say to you this morning that there are a lot of Christians today who are not positioned aright. And therefore the title of my sermon this morning is Repositioning Yourself. No one repositions you. You're responsible to reposition yourself for warfare. Are you hearing me? And here's the thing about warfare. Whether you're aware of it or not, it affects you. How many of you know that if there's a war going on, whether I am aware that there's a war or unaware that there's a war, a bullet can come and hit me. How many of you know that in many places, even in the Middle East today, we have those sad Tra tragedies of women and children being killed because they're caught in the crossfire. Little kids being killed because they're unaware that there's a war going on and they're just walking and they're just playing. But the fact that there's warfare, the fact that there is warfare means you have to position yourself arised, aright. Say to the person next to you, get into the right position. I was in a situation recently where my firstborn son Samuel was trying to wrestle me. Not a good idea. I know I don't look like Jimmy, but I prom not a good idea. Right? So I don't look as strong as Jimmy. Right? So, so he was trying to wrestle me, and he was pushing me. Now, how many of you know that he's physically quite strong? He's 10. And if I'm standing like this, he can push me over, can't he? But how did I stand? <laughs> you know what I'm talking about? I was in the right position. One of the key things they teach you in wrestling, I don't come from a wrestling background, I'm not saying I endorse it. One of the key things they teach you in wrestling, it's positioning. One of the key things they teach you in boxing, I'm not from a boxing background, is <laughs> positioning. Amen? If you walk like this, hey, hey, can you come? You'll topple over. I'm telling you right now, if you're not careful, some of you will be toppled over because you haven't positioned yourself aright. Their battles and their battles. Those of us who come from Zim, 
when we sometimes talk about the war in Zimbabwe, what is known as the Bush War in the 1970s, you speak to people, and I'm translating from my mother tongue now, um, but people will talk about how the war was very hot in that area. There were places where people were not aware that there was war. Those of us who grew up in the 70s, we weren't always aware that we are experiencing war. Except for I remember one time at our rural home being in a situation where I was about three years of age and I was sitting down and we just see these soldiers coming and taking things from our house and so on. And I'm thinking to myself, these soldiers. And my mom and dad tell me that when I was young, I would see soldiers and I'd say, Toja, Toja, Toja. And I would say that. But we talk about certain areas where the war was very, the war was very hot. There's a particular place in Zim called Mount Jenya, close to where people like Mr. Manuni come from. It's Tatenda here today, people like Tatenda Matongo and those people and so on. But they'll talk about how that's where the war was very hot. It was one of the areas. Are you following me? There are areas in your life right now where the battle is severe. But my question to you is, are you aware of it? And have you positioned yourself aright in that area? One of the things I find interesting, how many of you like soccer? Hey, quite a big crowd. How come hardly anyone from that side, all the soccer people go this side? Interesting. Should do some research on it. Have you noticed how sometimes you can have a strong side playing against a weaker team, but that weaker team is resilient? And what do the commentators say about the weaker team? They say these guys are very disciplined and well organized. What does it mean when they say a team is well organized? It means that even when they're tackling and doing all sorts of things, there might be a crazy moment, but very quickly they regroup. You know what I'm talking about. The real soccer fans here understand how things work in soccer strategically, right? They reorganize themselves. They reposition themselves. The only reason they can do that is each player is aware of his or her position. And it's interesting when you look at the game soccer, which I, also, which I like a lot, is you'll hear people debating, saying they're playing one matter in the wrong place. They're playing him in the wrong position. They should play him number 10. Why are they playing him out wide? And people get very passionate about the positioning of people in a soccer team. And I wish that same passion could be translated into the body of Christ today. Because I'm telling you right now, people are being wiped out because they're out of position. One of the first things to do when you're counseling couples is to observe and see, are they positioned aright? Is the husband positioned aright in relation to his wife? Is the wife positioned aright in relation to her husband? Because if you're not positioned aright, it exposes you in the spirit realm. Is someone getting this this morning? My question to you this morning is, are you in the right position or do you have to reposition yourself? Are you in a position where someone can pass the ball to you? Do you ever have it in a rugby game? I remember I would be watching one of my sons playing rugby. And the guy who has the ball is way ahead of everyone. He's a fast runner running like this. And I remember I would say, Sammy, Sammy, chase the guy. Be close to him so that if he needs to pass the ball, you're close enough. 
Are you in a position right now where the ball can be passed to you? Sometimes you watch a game and you see, do you ever see a thing where your favorite star is playing and he's got the ball and you really want him to score and there's always someone who's desperate for it and they're like going, oh, pass, pass, and they're waving. And you think to yourself, this guy wants the ball, but he's out of position. This guy wants the ball, but to pass the ball to him, you have to go through about three different people. The ball is going to be blocked. He wants the ball, but he's out of position. Some of you right now have been praying for a promotion. You've been desperate that God, can you give me my promotion? God, can you give me my husband? God, can you give me my wife? I don't know what you've been praying for, but my question to you is, are you in a position to receive the ball? Those of you who understand soccer, for example, it's not just about what you do when you've got the ball. It's about what you do without the ball, isn't it? And they say, this player is very effective when he doesn't have the ball. Why? He gets into spaces so that he can receive the ball. The reason why Michael and Fadzai are going and are establishing this church in Pretoria East is they were in a position where the ball could be passed to them. Are you hearing me? The reason why Wimbai, Pastor Vim, is going and has been pastoring the church at TUT which is going to be starting morning services this year when the students come back, is because she was in a position to receive the ball. Are you hearing me? Some of you are saying, God, there's a ball I want to receive. I've been crying out for it, not just ministerially, but even entrepreneurially. But my question to you is, are you in the right position? 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 18 to 20. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 18 to 20. For the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing. But to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. What I'm sharing with you right now is the message of Christ. And for some people it's foolishness. It's like, what's all this stuff? What's all this gibberish? For the world it's foolish. For us it's God's power. For it is written, verse 19, for it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise, the intelligence of the intelligent, I will frustrate. Where is the wise man? Where is the scribe? Where is the philosopher of this age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of the world? What determines your success in God? question. What determines my success in God is the degree to which I reposition myself from having had my affections set on the world and the world's way and the world's wisdom and repositioning myself and aligning myself with kingdom pattern. That's the journey of life. That's what renewing your mind is. That's what becoming Christ-like is. It's shifting from a position with the world and the way the world thinks and moving to a place where I reposition myself and I'm, in lined, I'm aligned with kingdom. So my question to you is, how have you been building your life? Do you need to reposition? And I'm going to share with you this morning different areas in our lives where we need to reposition ourselves. You see, some of you are very, very well positioned, but in the wrong kingdom. 
Some of you are very, very nicely positioned in the wrong kingdom. Blaise Pascal, he once said, there is a God-shaped vacuum in the heart of every man. And you see, I can hunger and thirst for things out there, but they will never satisfy. I'll only be truly satisfied when I reposition myself in his kingdom. Are you following this morning? St. Augustine said, Our hearts are restless until they rest in thee. Isn't that powerful? Our hearts are restless until they rest in thee. How many of you know that getting to a place of rest in God, it's a spiritual position? You see, right now when we look at each other, most of you, your posture is the same. I know there's some people who are slouching and so on. Some people are lying back, etc. But for the most part, you're sitting down, right? And so our position is fairly similar right now in this room. But in the spirit realm, there's some of you, who your spiritual posture is you're resting in God. And then for some of you, you're not resting in God. That's not your posture in the spirit realm. How many of you know that there are postures in the spirit realm? There's a way in which you can be positioned in the realm of the spirit. I want to declare over you that this year you will function from the right position. 2017 will be a year where you'll be functioning from the right position. You will know your position in God. You'll be secure in your position in God. You will not look at people and judge them in the flesh and say, I want to be like this. I want to be like that. Your posture will be right in God this year. Your positioning will affect your spiritual effectiveness. Your positioning will affect your spiritual effectiveness. We're going to go a little bit deeper. We're going to go a little bit deeper. I asked my wife about her roses the other day. She loves roses. If you come to our house, you'll see the garden is beautiful. Michael was there the other day and he was just saying, oh, the garden is beautiful. And I said to her, my love, I call her my love, not what some of you call your loved ones. After names of foods, my pup, my pumpkin. <laughs> Yeah, there are other things I can't repeat. I'm just, I'm hearing mature Christians coming through with certain things. My podcast, if you travel a lot. All right. I asked her, I said, my love, tell me, what have you learned over the last couple of years about roses? She said to me, I've learned that they need to be pruned. The other day we looked and the guy who helps us with the roses, he had really pruned them. But you know, when you prune roses... It looks like you've literally just chopped them down. It's not just a slight trim. Do you ever have, have you ever been to the barbers and you say, give me a slight trim? And then it's like, whoa, what happened? All right. The rose bush will look very different. She says they need to be pruned. What else? She said, you know what? They need to really be watered. Roses need lots of water. What else? And they need sunlight. So I started to realize that depending on where you plant that rose bush, if it's, in, if it's got enough water 
and it's about sunlight and it's being pruned. If it's in the right position, it will do well. It doesn't matter how good you are and how green your fingers are, but if you put that rose bush into the shade, in the shade all the time, all year round, it will not survive. The success of a growing rose bush is seen in its position. And I realize that it's the same for anything with life in it. Some of you are praying for breakthrough and you're praying correct prayers, but you're in the wrong place. You're not positioned the right. I mean, if you know what I'm talking about. I know certain people, they will be working in a particular environment, struggling, struggling, struggling. And then the Lord says, just move to that place across the road. Ah, no, this is the job I like because I love the brand. You know, oh, the brand of the company. And that's what leads them in decision making. And then one day they get the saints to move across the road. And that's where their breakthrough is. Your positioning will determine your spiritual effectiveness. My question to you is, right now, 2017, how are you going to position yourself? You see, God expects us, he expects me and you to make decisions about where we will be positioned. Some people say, well, God placed me here, like they're very passive about it. No, God speaks to you about where you should be placed and then you make the decision, are you going to go or are you not going to go? No one can do it for you. Don't blame other people for your circumstances. When you blame someone or something else, you deny yourself the ability to change. Some of you aren't experiencing the breakthrough God has got in store for you because you're blaming other people. It's never your fault. You know those people when you speak to them, it's never their fault. So what happened? Why did you fail this exam? Hey, the lecturer. Ah, you can hardly hear what he's saying. The lecturer, his accent. There's always something. So why did other people who are from a, diff a completely different tribe to that lecturer with the bad accent, why did they pass and you fail? And you're blaming the accent, but the person who is lecturing you is from your same tribe. Those are the accents you've been hearing growing up all the time. <laughs> ah, his accent, you know, it's, I passed him, it's difficult. Because to hear, my, my struggle is the hearing because his accent... No, when you blame someone or something else, you deny yourself the ability to change. God gives you the power and the authority to reposition yourself aright, to position yourself for promotion, to position yourself for warfare. What position are you in? And very often you'll have pressure from people around you because they want you to be in a certain position. And they say, no, this is what we want. You are a hero here in this context. Is that what God is saying to you? So I want to share with you, and I'll continue through to next week. I want to share with you some key areas in our lives that require repositioning. Are you ready? Area number one, repositioning in your marriage. Those of you who are single, you can apply this to the opposite sex, how you relate to the opposite sex. You can apply this to your future spouse. Amen? Amen? Amen. Amen. When Paul teaches on marriage, he emphasizes positioning. When Peter teaches on marriage, he emphasizes, emphasizes positioning. 
First Peter chapter 3 verse 7. I love this verse. Husbands likewise dwell with them. Talking about your wives. Dwell with them with understanding. Give what to your wife? There's a type of honor that your wife receives. Amen? Ivy seems to be pointing out the scripture to her husband. She's like double checking. Did you see it? Did you see it? Don't worry. Don't worry Mutsa, about everything else. That one. Yeah, that one. Konapo. Konapo. Yes, I can see that. Right? Giving honor to the wife as to the weaker vessel. That word weaker vessel does not mean she's weaker. It means fragile, handled with care. Are you hearing me? Now watch this. This is very key. And as being heirs together of the grace of life. Some translations say as joint heirs. There's a whole teaching around that. What a joint heir is. So my question here is in how I relate to my wife. Am I primarily seeing her? As my chef, <laughs> chef not as in boss, but chef as in the person who cooks for you. <laughs> there are a lot of men out there, the primary role of the wife is, she needs to feed me really well. I'm looking for, then go on to Australian master chef and that's where you pick your wife. Who's going to win the competition? <laughs> go to the culinary school, Randberg, and pick someone who's going to cook well. How are you positioned with regards to your spouse? Do you see as just a person who shares your bed with you? Your bed partner. Like we share a bed together. Do you see as primarily your um, administrative business partner? Where you just discuss financial things with each other. There's certain marriages. There are a lot of marriages that end up that way. But the Bible here is saying the way you should position yourselves in relation to your wife. Honor her. She's a joint heir. And when you're positioned aright in that way, husbands, the behavior flows out of that. Are you hearing me this morning? How I'm positioned in relation to specific people affects what happens in the warfare around me. Are you following? That your prayers may not be hindered. If I reposition myself effectively in how I am toward my wife, positionally, it affects my prayer effectiveness. Are you following? Your positioning will affect your spiritual effectiveness. My question to you is, do you see your wife as a joint heir or just a cook? Or just the mother of your kids? <laughs> Ephesians chapter 5 verse 21 to 23. Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Wives submit to your husbands as to the Lord. Let me give you a quick tip. Ladies, Married women in this room. One of the quickest ways to have demons troubling you in your life, harassing you in your life, is not submitting to your own husband. There's a whole teaching there. When we, we're going to do a series later on this year around family. 
The Bible says that the husband is the head of his wife. Are you hearing me? We're not talking about the, the world's way. We're talking about kingdom. The husband is the head of his wife and the head of the husband is Christ. And the Bible says that your husband is your... Come on, guys, you know the Bible. It starts with a C. Your cover. You know that that word submit is interesting, and I find it interesting that it starts off by saying submit to one another. All right? <laughs> okay. But then the emphasis here is then wives submit to your husbands. That word hupataso in the Greek, it's an interesting word because it literally speaks of how something is arranged in relation to something else. It's a term that's also used in military, in the military. So sometimes you'll have a situation where you have tanks, ground warfare, then you have the planes above. Then you have, do you know that if there's lack of synchronization between them, you'll have problems. They'll crash into each other because they're not in God's arrangement. And so that word submit, it basically speaks of an active thing on your part. It's something you choose to do. I can't submit you. Are you following? We're talking about right positioning. Submission is something you voluntarily do as an attitude of your own heart to get into God's order, God's beautiful arrangement. Amen? And there's safety in submission. For children, it's children obey your parents. I'm talking about children who still stay at home with their parents. Amen? And even if you're an adult and you still stay at home with your parents, your parents have the right to say, as long as you're under my roof, this is what's going to happen. You can't just keep like rent-free living, rent-free living, and you're 28 with mom and dad, but doing your own thing. Saying, well, I'm an adult. I want to do in the lounge whatever I want to do. They're houses of authority, and they're the ones in authority over that domain where they live. Are you hearing me? Wives, submit to your husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is head of the wife, just as Christ is the head of the church, his body of which he is the Savior. I love that word, hipotaso, however you pronounce it in the Greek. It means under, it means arrange, it means properly, it means under God's arrangement. It speaks of submitting even to the Lord. You position yourself voluntarily. My question to you, those of you who are single, how many singles do we have here? Some people are not sure because they're hooked up, but they're not yet married. <laughs> very interesting, very interesting. I see some confusion there. I won't mention any names. <laughs> I won't look in any particular direction. <laughs> We heard earlier on about the Indian women in the church. Anyway, all right. So, so, so here's, here's the thing. <laughs> Sorry, I'm being naughty now. If you're single here this morning, how are you positioned with regards to the opposite sex? The Bible tells us that view, this is Paul speaking to Timothy, see the younger women as your sister with a pure heart. The moment you move away from that, you get into a dangerous space because you are not rightfully positioned in relation to the opposite sex. And when you've got problems there premaritally, guess what happens? The day you say I do to someone, those issues don't just go away. If you do lustful things right now today, the day you say I do when you get married, the spirit of lust doesn't just leave automatically. Now you're married, it's gone. You carry those issues into your marriage. Are you hearing me? 
Are you positioned aright in relation to the opposite sex? Are you positioned aright husbands toward your wife? Are you positioned aright wives toward your husbands? The second dimension I want to share with you is repositioning in relation to your leaders. Repositioning in relation to your, your leaders. In Hebrews chapter 13 verse 17 it says, Have confidence in your... Right, and let me... Newsflash. Here it's talking about the church context. The context here isn't government. It's talking about church confidence. Church context. Amen? Can I bring it home? Can I personalize it? So go church, have confidence in me and the other leaders in the church. Submit to our authority. Let's bring it home. How do you apply this? How do you apply this? Otherwise we just read scriptures and it's like, ah yeah, okay, that's the theory, I believe it. Then when it's now put in practice, it's now another story. Those of you going to the Pretoria East church plant, have confidence in Michael and Fadzai and the leaders that are being raised in that environment. Amen? Have confidence in your leaders and submit to their what? Right. Why? Why should you do that? Because they keep watch over you as those who must give an account. I want to share with you a secret of the kingdom of God. There's a spiritual oversight that protects you. Some people abuse some of these kinds of things. There's a spiritual oversight that does what? That protects you. You see, our protection ultimately is from God, but God has an arrangement. So I can say to you, I've got a wonderful big umbrella. Let me help you to your car after the service. Amen? You can choose to go under that umbrella and you're protected from the rain. Or you can say, ah, this umbrella will be too squashed. It'll be uncomfortable. Paul is walking too fast for me. You can just go. Are you hearing me? Have confidence in your leaders and submit to their authority. Now, the Bible says leaders do not lord it over those who you are leading. In other words, as leaders, we don't submit people to us. Are you following? The choice is that the people who we are watching over, they choose to have confidence in us because we are watching over them. Are you hearing me? Because they keep watch over you as those who must give an account. You know that one day I'm going to, ha- I'm going to be there in heaven and God will say, so how come Sese believes this other stuff? How come that, that you, you taught about this and this and you overemphasized it and now look what happened to him. I have to give an account of what is fed to the people here. Amen? That's great responsibility. That's why some people say, yeah, why don't we have that other guy come and preach? And then there's this other person and so on. Fortunately, we've got a lot of great teachers in this church. And from time to time, we have guest speakers. But I mean, if you know that the church isn't a show. Do you know that if someone comes and preaches to you some wonky doctrine and you fall for it and your life changes, I'm also accountable. Because God will be saying to me, why did you release that person from the pulpit to say those things to people? 
That's why we're very careful, aren't we, where we send our children to and what they're going to eat there. Someone was telling me a story of how with certain people who they work with, it was sort of these domestic type of situations. They're saying, eh, that person offers me food, I don't eat. <laughs> I mean, if you know what I'm talking about. I mean, if you know that when you send your kids to various places and so on, you're watchful. You say, oh, this one has got this allergy, please don't give him this. Oh, this one is going to this place, please don't give him that. It's okay, Daniel, you don't have those allergies anymore. We don't speak that over you. Sorry, my son, Daniel, when I said allergy, he suddenly looked up like this. He is walking. <laughs> because they keep watch over you as those who must give an account. Do this so that their work will be a... So that their work will be a joy, not a burden. For that would not be benefiting for you. You won't be benefited. The more joyful we are in what we do, the greater the benefit for you. How I many of you know that joy brings strength? The Bible says the joy of the Lord will be your strength. My question to you is, how are you positioned in relation to the people who are watching over you, the pastors in this church? We bring it home. Do you see the pastors in this church as just people who teach you and motivate you from time to time? You know, there's some people, they only want to share their breakthrough when they have the breakthrough. They won't come beforehand and say, can we have the power of agreement to pray for this breakthrough? Because they're too proud. There's that pride that says, no, pastor, I'll only tell you about it once it's done. Why? Performance mentality. I want to show you a perfectly done job. Then I'll tell you. We watch over you. We want to pray in agreement. Amen? As a leader, I have to ask myself, how am I positioned in relation to these people? Am I just teaching them or am I watching over them? This is not a preaching center. It's not just about coming. Anyone can come and motivate you. There's a watching over that happens. Amen? There are times in prayer where we see your faces. Where we see your faces. We haven't spoken for a few weeks. We haven't spoken. Your face just pops up. I remember the other day, we were, my wife was cooking or something, and she was just like, oh, I've just seen so-and-so's face. Can we just pray for her, please? Won't say who it was. One of the ladies in the church. Amen. Sorry, cool person and so on. I'm just saying, right? Matthew 10, verse 41 to 42. Matthew 10, verse 41 to 42. We're talking about being repositioned. Being repositioned. He who receives a prophet in the name of a prophet shall receive what? A prophet's reward. What's a prophet's reward? It's the benefits that a prophet brings to the church. A prophet is a gift from God. How many of you know that gifts have benefits? Amen? A lady in the church told me earlier on, she says, my husband got me a car, got me a car. There are benefits to that gift that she got. She says, my husband got me a car, my husband got me a car, so I drove myself to church today. So that's the benefit. 
God gives gifts. And one of those gifts is the gift of prophet. There's gift of apostle. There's gift of pastor. There's gift of evangelist. Amen. There's gift of teacher. He who receives a prophet as a prophet gets a prophet's reward. The benefits of a prophet. He who receives a prophet as just a friend gets the benefits of just the friendship. And let me tell you something. There are many friends you've got and some of them are wonderful. They're really great. I'm a great friend to some people. But being a friend isn't necessarily the thing that God put me onto this earth for. Are you following? So I enjoy friendship with people. I'm a, I'm a people person. Hey guys, what's up? Oh, we can do that. There's the benefit of a friendship with me. But I can tell you right now, it's not the same benefit as receiving me or whoever else. I'm using myself as an example. This is your local context. In the capacity that God has given me to you as a gift. So unwrap me. You get what I'm trying to say, right? <laughs> it's going to have multiple meanings. When you get a gift as a present, it's only useful to you if you unwrap it and you begin to use it. Please hear me. That's what we are there for. We're not, we're not performers who are coming this year and just saying, oh, we're doing this show and we're distant from the people. We are here saying, God, you've called us to this. God, according to the gift that you've assigned for me, me to this local church, may I be used accordingly. And you know what? That's where the joy comes into my heart because I'm functioning in my right position. Are you hearing me? So you can choose. Yes, we, we'll sit and we'll watch soccer together. That's a friendship. But there are other benefits. He who receives a prophet in the name of a prophet shall receive a prophet's reward. And he who receives a righteous man in the name of a righteous man shall receive a righteous man's reward. <clears throat> and whoever gives one of these little ones only a cup of cold water. Now watch this. In the name of a disciple. This is so powerful. These kids that are walking, the Daniels, the, uh, all these kids that are walking up and down and so on, you can see them as just a little one or you can receive them as a disciple. How many of you know that if I see my children primarily as just kids who are being a nuisance disturbing me while I want just peace and quiet? I mean, I'm, I'm not positioning myself aright in relation to them. But the Bible says, he who receives one of these little ones, who gives one of these little ones only a cup of water. Why? In the name of a disciple. Question, do you see your kids as disciples? When I was setting my goals for this year, one of the things I'm going to focus on is mentoring and discipling my children. It's a goal. Do you see your children as disciples or do you see them as just people who are sucking you dry financially? <laughs> Obstacles, getting into the way, getting in the way of your goals and your high and lofty achievements that you want to accomplish. How do you see them? Now watch this. 
Assuredly, I say to you, he shall by no means lose his what? Some of you are experiencing breakthroughs, but as I think of some of you, the breakthrough you're experiencing is actually a reward. You're calling it a, you're calling it a breakthrough, but it's God rewarding you. Do I see the young people in the church just as little ones or do I see them as disciples? And am I willing to give them cold water in the name of a disciple? How I see them will determine how much I draw out of them. Some of you have tried to complicate your ministries. Your first ministry is to your family. Some of you have tried to complicate your ministries and you want this high and lofty thing. And God is just saying, you know what? I've chosen you to parent these kids. I've chosen you to be the niece, to, the, to be the aunt of this boy. I've chosen you to be the go kids teacher of this group of kids because they're my disciples. And maybe the next great evangelist is in your go kids class right now. Yes. What are your children to you? Do you need to reposition yourself in relation to them? Are you their father or just their ATM? Are you their mother or just their referee? Sometimes my wife, my wife is laughing because sometimes she feels like a referee between the kids. Mommy, mommy, no, he said this. No, he said this. Oh, 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 oh. I mean, if you know what I'm talking about. God has called us to position ourselves aright with regards to our leaders in church, with regards to our spouses, with regards to himself. And when you reposition yourself aright, there's breakthrough, I promise you. Just be very careful. I want to speak to some of the men here. Don't replace your position as father with just being a provider. There's way more to fathering than providing beyond provision. Provision is an important aspect of it. But if you look at the definition of father, it goes way beyond just being a provider. And there are many men who will say, no, but look, I, I, I pay the bills, I do the school fees, I do this and I work hard for it. But there's an emotional distance between you and your kids. How many of you know that your children are more likely to embrace your values to the degree to which there's an emotional bond and connection between you and them? We found that with our kids, that when we've really connected with them and had a good day with them and so on, it's so easy to just say, oh, can you do this? Oh, please throw this away from me. Oh, please do this. Fine, simple. Come on now. Anyone can impregnate, any guy can impregnate a woman and end up It's one thing to be a father, it's another thing just to be, what do you call it, progenitor, what do you call it, all right? And they end up having a baby. And then from a distance, they can just be like, ah, I'm a good father, because I've got that standard what stop order. And I know the maintenance just goes through, goes through. Anyone can do that. Now here's the scary thing, you can do that whilst living with your children. And a lot of people in Gauteng, where we, we struggle with a disease called hurry sickness. We always, oh, busy, 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 I'm getting dizzy. Busy, 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 I'm getting dizzy. We, we always like that. And we can just think, yeah, but no, I bought them that bike. 
oh, but I did this, but I covered their fees and so on. No, there's way more to fathering than the provision aspect. Don't use that as an excuse for not connecting with the next generation. Amen? Amen. How are you positioned with regards to the next generation?